Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi, everyone. It's Roxanne Gerhodge. Thanks so much for tuning in uh, this week. Uh, this week, I have a colleague that I recently met in, in Toronto, uh, Frank Soma. Hi, Frank. How are you today? Fantastic. Fantastic. So good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Frank uh, is a part of a, uh, was part of a training that uh, I was really recently involved with, uh, with our coach in common, uh, Jane Atkinson. And uh, we were able to, I was able to hear Frank uh, um, speak, which was amazing, and uh, asked Frank if he would come on and chat a little bit about his brand. So I have a bio, which uh, I'm sure it won't uh, do justice to Frank, but I'm going to try my best to let you know a little bit about Frank. So he's has over 30 years in sales and senior sales management. Um, he's basically specializing in creating relationships and long-term customer loyalty, something that I know all of us are waiting often trying to develop and maintain. He's conducted uh, workshops and keynotes for some pretty major companies, GE, TML, Conway, Office Solutions, Pitney Bowes, Exit Realty, um, The Elks, to name a few. Using his degree in NLP, which is uh, neural listing programming, Frank continues to teach and motivate sales and management teams to rave reviews. So Frank's been um, involved in a charitable organization called the Cooley Anemia Foundation, and it deals with uh, curing patients from uh, thalassemia, which is an incurable blood disease, and remains active. He's written two books, which I did not know, Frank, and uh, does uh, multiple magazine articles. And he writes weekly, and he has a motivational column, something that he'll mention that you can... uh, get signed up for. So Frank, thanks so much for being here. And I look forward to chatting a little bit about uh, connection. As you know, with my, um, my, my brand, which is about authenticity, I talk a lot about how we stay connected as leaders in order to motivate others. And when I heard you speak and actually saw the things that you discussed um, in your speech, it, it intrigued me about what kind of things business owners and people really in any capacity. I think as soon as you open your eyes mm-hmm. in some form of sales, whether you're making your child brush your teeth or you're uh, trying to maneuver, you know, the person um, in a grocery line or a bank teller, we're always, you know, in connection with people and doing it the right way makes our day a lot better. So, so Frank, tell me a little bit about your background and when, what got you into uh, speaking and eventually sales training. Well, you know, I think that the misconception of what professional selling is drives me crazy. So part of my mission is to debunk the myth. You know, the idea that a professional salesperson is Joe Pesci, I mean, rather, um, what's his name, and Tommy Boy, uh, Chris Farley and Tommy Boy, or 
Alec Baldwin and Glenn Gary or any of these old school, you know, bring the hammer sales guys. It's that's not the world we live in. And that's not professional selling. It's it's a business of service and it's a business of relationships and learning those skills, whether you sell or not. I mean, you know, I recently met an accountant who's super strong in business development and he described to me the things that he does. He never said he was in business development. He never said he was out selling his services. He was doing what he thought he should do as an entrepreneur. And what he was doing was selling his services. Right, right. So, you know, he and I clicked on, on that level. Um, so a big part of what my mission is, is when people say sales, I don't want them to think snake oil salesmen or any of these awful stereotypes that are always negative. Um, you know, if you think about it with anything in society, stereotypes are typically negative and never tell the whole story. So one group is not a hundred percent of anything. And in the world that I live in and what I try to teach folks is it's really about being in great rapport with people, being in great relationships. And then when you get to a point where you're in rapport and the relationship is strong, you'll gain trust. And once you've gained trust, then you're allowed to bring your wares, services, whatever they are. But prior to that, if there isn't any trust, there's no basis to go forward in business. So, you know, in the old days they did these, this is a Ben Franklin close, write all the stuff on this side of the paper and then write this. And this is just all old school nonsense. And, you know, the selling world, listen, Roxanne, think about it. You can practically, you know, if, you, if we live in an Amazonian world, you can practically point and click to buy a yacht. What do you need with a salesperson? <laughs> you know, if that person is not going to be super strong relationship and shepherd you through the process of acquiring his product or service, then he's really not going to be very useful or effective. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you're so right when we say that it's a stereotype. People think of sales as being something scary and you're going to try to talk me into something. Right. And oftentimes, People that are newer in business, they have a product, they may have an amazing product, and but they're uncomfortable, you know, when they're meeting people because they're thinking, okay, I have to sell this product and it kind of stifles this them. I'm sure you've seen that a lot with uh, newer salespeople. Do you find that newer salespeople have the kind of the academic way of thinking about sales versus the feeling way of sales? Yeah, I think that happens with a lot of folks that are new and, um, what our good friend Jane refers to as uh, this little vernacular that may not be too great, but it's called show up and throw up. <laughs> so, you know, you get somebody who has all of this new knowledge about their product and service, and they believe that that's the difference that makes the difference. And it isn't. When you show up today, your buyer likely knows more about your service or product than you do. So it's not information. You know, if you go back 30 years ago, the job of the salesperson was to bring information to the buyer that they didn't have. Today, the buyer has access to as much information as the salesperson and usually has the information, knows about the salesperson and knows about the company before the salesperson ever shows up. Therefore, again, going back to it's about making great relationships that will give you um, the entree in and the trust factor. And, you know, a big part of that to me is having long-term relationships and the loyalty that comes with that, because, you know, it's obviously easier to continue to go deeper and wider and do more transactions within a customer base that, you know, like, and that knows and likes you than it is to go out and break new ground every day. 
So I think for those reasons, salespeople who pay attention to the relationship and the things that go into that are going to be more successful in the long run. So let's say I'm going to go and see a new customer. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, they know of me, I, and then you're so correct. By the time I enter or meet people, they know who I am. Sure. They've seen me speak. They've seen. They've Googled me. They can yeah. cite articles I've written that I maybe I've even forgotten about <laughs> or things that I've been on. Yeah. So when I'm when you're going in, what kind of guidance would you give someone like myself that's going in to kind of start the relationship? Because they know a lot about me. They obviously there's a common need because we wouldn't be meeting. What are some of the things that you find helps prepare someone for going into a meeting like that? What are some of the skills that or things that you teach um, that are necessary to be able to kind of take those primary steps into a uh, meeting like yeah. Sure. Well, I think, you know, in, from the very beginning, there are, there are a whole host of things that go into it. And, the, and what we use in NLP, what's called calibrating and reading people and understanding the micro expressions that go on, I think is a little much for the conversation we're having now. But a great way to begin this, what we're talking about is, first of all, what you started with, everyone is convincing someone of something everyone's selling. So sales has this terminology that means I have to come and close you on business, which is really silly. That's not how it should be. And and then the flip side of that is that every entrepreneur needs to know how to get people to use their product and service and therefore they're selling. So on those levels is important. Now, when you go to meet somebody, what matters? The best thing that I can teach somebody to just get started is to be open. So when you meet someone new, I I actually teach the basic of saying hello and shaking somebody's hand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a few steps involved. You know, when you meet someone, you've got to be open. So picture our center mass of our body has to be facing one another. You don't go in a little bit sideways. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't go in hunched. You don't go in looking the other way. You're, You're heart to heart. Your heart is aiming at their heart. And then you make eye contact. So you're wide open and then you look in their eye. You glance in their eye for a second and you think to yourself how nice it is to meet this person. Mm -hmm. As I said that, you smiled Mm -hmm. because those words make you smile. So when you say to yourself how nice it is to meet this person, your eyes will soften up a little bit. You're open heart to heart. You made eye contact. Now you make eye contact for a second or two, right? We don't make eye contact and hold it (laughs) <laughs> you know, for tense, <laughs> you know, the, like, like you're trying to bore into their brain and get their deepest, darkest secrets. You, you know, you make a quick eye contact, you reach out to shake the hand, you say, hello, how are you? Whatever your normal greeting is. And then another neat little thing to do is lean in just a tad. You don't want to be so close that I can smell your perfume, you know, or invade your space but I want to lean in just a bit, which is a subconscious uh, way of saying we have a little bit more intimacy. And when I do that and I, and I shake your hand, then I hear your name. Now, a, a lot of people listening will say the same thing. I never remember people's names. I always forget their names. I can't remember their names. So what I do when I'm teaching this, right? So we're open, we make eye contact, we smile, we shake the hand, we lean in just slightly and then the person says their name and you what I do is I say their name aloud and then I say it to myself and then I try to come with an image 
Roxanne, I think, is Steve Martin with the big long nose when he was doing his take on Cyrano in that movie Roxanne. So I'm going to just go, every time I think of you, I'm going to see that funny image of Steve Martin. I'm going to remember your name. So I say it aloud. I say it to myself repeatedly. Hey, Roxanne, it's great to meet you, Roxanne. Thank you. And then I have to do one commercial on shaking hands, Roxanne, because you are such a wonderful woman. And I think men have a tendency sometimes to shake a woman's hand and tell me if this ever happens to you. And just kind of hold the tips of her fingers like it's like, the, you know, the knight returning the handkerchief to the queen. And I find that disrespectful. I think when I meet someone in business, I shake their hand. Now, I'm not going to squeeze your hand like I'm, you know, show you I've been hitting the gym. But I'm not going to give you this weird little fingertip thing like, you know, you're a lady in waiting in the queen's court. And I think men have a tendency to do that. So that's my commercial. And and you know, when you go to shake a woman's hand, shake it like you would a man's, although maybe a little bit softer. And and then the last part, you know, which is a great report thing, is that do-overs were okay. Did you ever shake somebody's hand and miss? <laughs> yes, I have enough. Yes, yeah, I've... yeah, right. So it's like a weird, <laughs> like you're in this little moment of weirdness, and it's kind of <laughs> awkward, you know. You're like, so what I do is I own that moment. I say, oh my, Roxanne, we just missed a handshake. It's so basic. Let's do it again. And right. that actually makes puts me in greater rapport that I identified as opposed to sitting out in this weird he didn't shake right you didn't shake right what the heck is going on mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so really what you're doing is you are entering into relationship immediately but when you say micro what was the term you use Frank micro, micro expressions so tell, me, NLP, tell me more about that I've never heard that term before so what NLP is the communication science right and what you do is you're reading expressions on people that happen quickly. And it's, you know, the levels of learning, right? You can be, you're unconsciously competent. Mm -hmm. You're unconsciously incompetent. You don't know what you don't know. Then you become consciously incompetent. You know that you don't know how to do this. Then you become consciously competent. You know that you know. And then you become unconsciously competent. You're a master. You do these things unconsciously. So in the idea of calibrating someone, is something that you want to do unconsciously. So when I'm speaking with you, I may take in that you're nodding your head sometimes mm -hmm. up and down in a yes motion. That tells me that you're a person that your your personality is likely one of a match or not a mismatch. You're a person who's looking for similarities and things to build on and agree with. And that's a good thing for me to know walking in. Mm -hmm. If um, I again unconsciously calibrating. Maybe there's a little bit of color that comes up in your face when I say something. Or maybe the, you know, the inner canthus or the outer canthus of your eye disappears a little bit, which can be a fear response or a nervous response. You can't look for those things, you know, like shallow breathing or face. You can't look for those things and stay in the conversation. But when you train in it enough, you pick up these little signs. And, you know, you've heard, Roxanne, of course, of women's intuition, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yes. So... Okay, so this is basically training people to have women's intuition. Some mm -hmm. people do it really well and naturally, and other people have to learn it and practice it, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really, you know, I think as myself, as my, with my background is I'm contis continually listening deep down on an ongoing basis when I'm, when I'm consulting or, or coaching or, or seeing someone in a clinical practice. I'm literally listening to their words, not that their words aren't important, but I'm truly, I often say I'm trying to read between the lines, like what is it that they're really experiencing that they're not saying, um, and what are they, what's really happening for them? 
and you know trying to check it out with them if i see a slight shift i will say i get the sense that you're saying this but i'm experiencing this when you say this is that true so we're we're continually checking it out and it sounds like the same kind of process because yeah. really a lot of what we say you know because we can fill a lot of space with with words uh, when mm -hmm. we have a conversation, but you know, we go back around to the same things and then you think, Oh, you just said this, but now you're saying this, which is right. it. Um, so it sounds like it's more like really, really, um, attunement, we call it. And it's probably the same term. I'm attuning with the other individual to really, um, get a sense of what they're about and then trying to get, um, so what is, what is it that they're wanting from me? Right. Right. And what, what's, as you said, you're reading between the lines and you're picking up, all of these other things that are going on, because really most of the message that comes across comes from the pace, the tone, and the body language. It doesn't really come from the words. I mean, if you think that's the base of sarcasm, right? So if I say to my my wife, um, you know, no, I can't go to your cousin's birthday party because I'm away on a business trip, and she goes, "Oh, that's great." She doesn't mean that's great. Yeah. So it's not, you know, it's never the words, it's the tone and the body English that goes along. And I try to work with people to help them to understand that. And also to take the time. What you said before is so important about the type of listening. Because there are people who listen, and one of the most obnoxious things a listener can do is when they're accused of not listening is repeat back the words to prove that they were listening. Because it doesn't prove anything. It just proves that you heard. Listening is not hearing. So, you know, when I watch people who are great active listeners, they're nodding in the appropriate place. They're grunting in the appropriate place. They're mm-hmm-ing in the right place. Sometimes a light touch, sometimes a lean in. It's active. There's a lot going on for the listener. And teaching people to do that is, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy because we're really not trained when you think about some of the things that you've gone through and well your schooling is very specialized and i'm sure that you were taught to listen but other than in your specific profession think about that you know where there's public speaking classes we get up to do presentations but who teaches you to listen really well and intensely and actively and that gift of understanding and there and there's no greater gift than you can give someone than to make them feel good about themselves and you do that by paying close attention and respecting what they're saying and you know the term that uh in neuroscience and i'm sure you've probably heard this term is called uh mirror neurons mm -hmm. so you in your body and in my body when i meet you i'm trying to i'm trying to get aligned to your mirror neurons and um that's just inherently in us as, as you know, because that's the, you know, the neurochemistry of our, of our space. And mm -hmm. we're always trying to kind of calibrate to each other. So it's interesting that you're saying that when you're meeting someone, you're really trying to kind of get us, you know, get into the same space as them, which is a lot of times it's unconscious. You're not aware of it. You know? well, yes. When you want to be in rapport, right. But now imagine for a minute, you meet someone who is a classic, mismatcher they don't want to be in rapport they 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 want to change things um so it's not always the same you know like i think what you're saying makes a ton of sense when you're and you need to be conscious of that if you're coming to meet someone and you would like an outcome from that meeting then you've got to be conscious of doing the mirroring 
and getting in rapport. The other person may not be that interested or may not want the same outcome as you, and therefore they're not in the same mirroring position. So it's incumbent upon you to take that on and learning how to do that is super important. You know? So what do you do with someone like that? Let's say um, you're going in, the person maybe you know has had maybe the last um, provider or you know person that they hired didn't do a good job. They obviously have that in their back of their mind. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're a bit, bit mistrustful. They're you know, oh yeah, you sell me the product. I see already. I see you lost the first quarter and never see you again. All those right. things yeah. that potentially they may have gone through. So what kind of things are you keeping in mind when you're getting those? I'm going to call them blocks. You're feeling right. it's not about you. What kind of things do you teach or do you actually do to kind of work through that? I think mostly I don't try to run away from them and I don't try to contest them. I find that when someone makes a statement that is disagreeable and I disagree with it, they tend to dig their heels in and want to prove their point. Mm -hmm. So instead I'd rather agree with it. So if if a client said to me, Oh, you guys are all the same. You come in here, you sell me something, then you disappear. I'm not going to say, well, no, I don't disappear. I, because he's, yeah, you're just like everybody else. But instead, I would say, wow, I understand what you're saying. There are a lot of people who do that, and it's got to be really frustrating. Now, the last person that came in, tell me what happened. Did, you know, Why did you buy from them, and, and where did they go? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to get the story out of them. And you know, it, it becomes less powerful when it's out in front of both of us. And then the other thing you want to do is have what, whatever you can bring to bear to mitigate risk, because people don't want to make a risky decision, right? You know, there's an old, there was an old expression in business, nobody ever got in trouble for buying from IBM or Xerox. Because it's a name brand, there was no risk, no one could question you. But if you went and, you know, and, and went, I'm, I'm going to buy, you know, Joe's computer system <laughs> instead of IBM, you, you better be darn sure that Joe's computer system is really good because everyone will criticize that. So w- safety, people who are making purchase decisions want to look good that they made the right decision and they want that risk mitigated. So whatever proof sources you can get bring in, if you're a person who sells a physical product and you have an unconditional guarantee or something, that's great. Bring that to bear. If you've got great testimonials from your clients, that's great. If you've got other businesses like theirs who have benefited from the same thing, that's a risk mitigation because they can feel that similarity. But I think that's a big thing to keep in mind is like you say, there are folks that are resistant and the things to me to do are to ask questions and listen really well. Ask questions about those, those things that make them resistant and don't be afraid of them, bring them, bring them to bear. And then have some things in your pack you know, that you're used to bringing that are risk mitigators. For sure, and, and I often think, um, what I'm often thinking is that you're trying to understand you know, what's gonna make, what's their role in the process Right. Are they the final decision maker? Right. Are they part of the decision making? Um, is, if this decision gets made well, what's that going to do to their role? Um, so there's so many variables oftentimes, right. like when you're going in. Like I know when we go in to consult or just, you know, for speaking engagements or training, you may be meeting maybe somebody that's mid-level of the organization, mm-hmm. but maybe they're not the final decision maker but they have a big part of the influence, but in, at the end of the day, they don't have the full influence. And sometimes people don't want to tell you that either. I don't know if you often okay. find that, right? They, they want to, you know, kind of say, I have the final say. Of course. Sometimes they don't. 
you know, and but they but their job is to find out as much as they can to pass it on. So it's kind of trying to vet that out from what you're saying, like what role is that person playing in the process? Do you find that to be an issue? So when you're going in, um, do you do you find it uh, in folks that you've spoken to or even yourself, or do you find it difficult to ask someone? Are they, are you the decision maker? Are you the final person? No, I often say, you know, um, you know, I've, we've, we've met today, we seem to be agreeable, I understand what you're needing, you know, it seems like what I'm offering is something that you're interested in. Is there a time that we can, I can, you know, get back to you about the decision on this and who else is involved in the decision? Is it just you? So if I know it's just that person, then I know, of course, I can have a, diff- a certain conversation, but if it's someone else, right. then they'll say, oh, it's actually, you know, it's XYZ in this department, then I'll often say, when can we set up a meeting or a call to include this person to get that information? So I think it's just asking a lot of questions, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. So tell me about um, tell me about your process. What got you? I, I heard your story, and I, I I loved your story, and it's I still think about it's you know you being in the truck with your dad um, mm-hmm. when you were young. So tell me, what did you think when you saw your dad out selling young? You know, I didn't know that it was selling. You know, he was the beer and soda guy, so he was out delivering to people's homes. This is back in the 1960s when, you know, home deliveries were everything. You know, the milkman put the milk in the silver box on your steps and mm-hmm. you had your beer and soda delivered and the bread man and the, the guy that sharpened the tools rode up and down the street and the guy with the fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know, this is old New York City and how, uh, how we all live. And my dad delivered beer and soda. So, you know, the, what you're referring to, the story of my, was when I began to understand what negotiation means. And, you know, I reflected on it much later in my life. At the time, I didn't really, you know, I'm eight years old. I'm not saying, wow, this is a great sales story. My dad really, you know, he knows how to negotiate. Um, And he wasn't paid to sell. But, you know, he was really, we were really poor. And he was interested in making that extra money. So he learned how to act in order to get a, a, you know, a better tip, so you just look by you just uh, learn by looking and just uh, taking it in about how he connected and how he how he always saw you know he helped yeah. out. Yeah, in that particular case, I mean, for me, coming to sales was I was running away from everything that wasn't. It was I you know I grew up in a home with a uh, my dad and and everyone I knew was a laborer of some kind and would just talk all the time about what they couldn't afford. Mm. And it just, I just didn't want that in my life. And I wanted to do something better in sales. You know, I, I, I wasn't, um, you know, my father's a high school dropout. Um, most of my relatives were not people of education. So it was the thought of going to school for 12 years and getting my PhD or whatever was, I didn't even know that that existed. So when the opportunity came and I met somebody who said to me, you know, you should think about a career in selling, um, it made sense to me because it was what I could do with the education I had and I would be able to move forward by virtue of my own efforts. And I love the idea of pay for performance as opposed to the minimum wage that was out there from the other one. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's so, it's so interesting because my, uh, my dad was also a salesman all my life and mm-hmm. uh, my memories were, so I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago 
and and his his family was very poor. He grew up to um, cane farmers, so they would cut the canes in the fields. And him, likewise, like your story, isn't it interesting, New York City to the Caribbean? And he saw them struggle, obviously, to be able to make ends meet and um, recognized really early that um, his father was not a salesman. Father worked really hard, you know, struggled to take care of the kids. And he got old enough and recognized that he had he had an ability and um, started to learn, you know, how to sell and then realized the more I could actually connect with people. And I often say that my father, like your dad, sounds like had that capacity to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I grew up around a lot of business people really, really early because they would have these meetings when I was really, really young. Um, And they would come over and, you know, people would, they would be doing transactions. I had no idea what they were doing, but just, Mm -hmm. and my dad's, you know, I think my dad's gifted, like it sounds like your dad's gift was about relationships. And one thing that I often say that I learned was, is that um, to treat everybody with the same respect. Mm -hmm. And that, that element, whether you're the guy that's opening the door, the guy that's at the top of the office, you know, you know, in the tower with the CEO, you always treat everybody with respect, you know, and something that's, again, that element of connection, which is really what we're talking about. You know, if you treat everybody well, you know, everybody wants to, to, to feel important and special in the process. Well, I, I think what matters the most in that, Roxanne, to me, is the authenticity behind it. So the sincerity. When you meet the guy, who, when you meet the elevator operator, mm-hmm. if you're not sincerely interested in him and his story, you're just a false, flattering, flim-flam person, and mm-hmm. people see right through it. Either you're really interested or you're not. And it, being interested is a decision. Mm-hmm. It's not a feeling. You can decide to be interested in all those folks, like you're saying, and treat everyone with respect. But I caution everybody, don't just meet the elevator guy or the guy who, you know, cleans the floor in your building and just be like, hey, what's your name? John. Then every time you see him, hey, John, what's up? You know, if you're really interested, be really interested. Make that person matter. Make them feel good about themselves and be genuine about it. You know, there's great stories out there and great people. And if you get to know them, it's enriching for you. And enriching for them and I I think like for whether you're in sales or anything else the relationship portion is super important I did a talk not too long ago for a great company called high-rise fire and safety actually I've done three for them and we talk about employee retention a lot I meet their managers and it's the same stuff that we're talking about here it's meeting people and being sincere and active listening and building relationships and for them it's their managers making sure that people don't leave for um, some more money with the, with the competitive company. Why do they stay? People don't quit companies. They quit managers. Absolutely. Like people cared about them. They didn't think anyone was paying attention, you know? Absolutely. And, and then, uh, you know, the value of having your managers have the skills to recognize, yes, everybody knows that you have to get certain things done, right? But it's how do you deliver it? How do you, do you know anything about Jane or John that's in the back computer room or the person in accounting that nobody sees, right? But without them, you know, Lord help you if it's a quarterly business sales analysis that you need in a a, a turn of a dime and then you have to pick up that phone. You know, when I worked in corporate consulting, that's often what happened, you know? So you had all these people that you relied on and then you have this big meeting and things start to fall apart and you have to pick up the phone <laughs> to get the last minute report. 
and Lord helped you. I mean, you know, if you didn't have a relationship with that person, because they've got a lot of things that are probably priorities. And I remember, you know, um, in instances, some uh, people that were consulting that would not treat them well, that would be their work would mysteriously end up at the bottom of the pile and people that were connected to them would get things done. So it's all about taking the time. How, how are things going? You know, those types. So the basic humanness that we're looking for. Yeah. You know, it, we're in a really rushed kind of world for business and you know, everything happen, has to happen just in time. But the idea of showing of being, I can't emphasize enough that being sincerely interested in those people that you're talking to and then showing some appreciation. It doesn't mean, you know, you have to go out and, and give everybody a $300 gift card. Um, but it does mean to show some appreciation. I'll tell you a fabulous story. If you have a minute, there's a, there was a young kid at, um, at a Pret-a-Manger, which is, you know, a chain of these wonderful organic, uh, fast food places down by me. So I go in to get my coffee and my breakfast. And this kid just has a great smile. He's maybe 22, something like that. But he's not the typical counter person. I just see something bright in him. So I ask him his name and he says, it's Alan. I'm like, Al, that's my brother's name. You know, he's like, oh, what's your name? I'm Frank. Oh, we... so I come in the next morning. I'm like, yo, Al. He's like, hey, Frank, what's going on? Now, this kid is 40 years younger than me. You know, he's got his hat on sideways, his pants are down close to his knees. You know, he's, he's a hip dude in New York. So we shouldn't get along really, right? But, you know, I just strike up this thing with him and I just love his smile. So I acknowledged that. I made him feel good about himself and it was genuine. And he liked that. So I'm sitting at my desk one day and I said, you know, I got to give Al a good tip. So I just give him a, a little gift card, 20 bucks mm -hmm. that I went to the store to get. I can't buy him a Starbucks card because he works in a coffee place. <laughs> so I get a little MasterCard gift card. And I write a note about how awesome it is to walk into his store in the morning and see that smile and how it starts my day the right way. And I hope he knows how valuable he is and what good he's doing in the world, how he's lighting people up. I leave the card in an envelope for him and I left. I go back to the store a couple weeks later, not maybe a week later. And I grab my little Greek omelet and my coffee. It's probably a $9 purchase. And the manager's there. And the manager says, hey, Al, is that the guy? I was like, yeah, that's the guy. He goes, ah, your breakfast on me. So I go back a few days later. And there's a woman at the counter. And I say, hey, Al. And he goes, hey, Frank. And she goes, Al, is that the guy? Al goes, yeah, that's my man, Frank. She <laughs> says, don't worry about it. Your breakfast on me. This has happened to me in this store, Roxanne, I swear to you on my grandchildren, 12 times already. Oh my goodness. Now, there's a policy in Pret that you can, you can comp any customer you want at any time. All the employees have that right. I've been comped 12 times at about 10 bucks a pop. Wow. Warren Buffett couldn't get a return <laughs> like that on my <laughs> I mean, that's not what I went out for, but you just, you can't give away anything. You know, it just comes back to you and, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it though. Isn't that amazing? Well, I, and I, I think that's, that, you should take a look at a picture of Al. He's on my blog. It's, I, I will take a look. Smile, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, and it, that just speaks to general kindness, right? Like when you stop to say hello and I, like, you're right, a genuine 
smile sometimes just to say hello. It's maybe the same person at the same door, you know, at, you know, every day when you go into that building. But if you, if you even just stop for a second to say hello or to, to take that time, you know, I think some of the basic things around being connected, we get, you're right, we're harried, we're stressed, you know, all those things, and we don't stop to do some of the basic things. And you never know. It's so true when you use your example um, with Al, because you don't do those things because you expect anything back in return. And you don't know sometimes you always do. You may never know in what ways, but in your ways you can see it. But sometimes, yeah, some other times you're like, wow, this happened to me. This is, this is great. I can't believe it may be something unrelated, but it's about kind of giving that energy out to the world, right? Like to say, let me be kind, let me be gentle. Um, and you know, I think a lot of people think of the world and the state we're in with a lot of things going on and they think, what, what difference can I make? Right. But I, I, that's, you know, it's a huge, huge lesson to learn. And I believe that if we go back to what we spoke about originally being an entrepreneur or being a salesperson or being a convincer of any time, like you said, you've got to, you know, convince the kids to brush their teeth. The veterinary guy is convincing me to get heartworm meds for my dog. You know, everyone has to convince someone of something. And I think it begins with kindness and authenticity and sincerity. Sincerity, sincerity. You know, these, I, I know of a sales guy, for example, who is not very kind to his staff. And, you know, when things go wrong, he's really loud and really pushy. And fulfills that stereotype that I can't stand that we started out in the beginning with me talking against. And then, you know, once every couple of months, he goes in and he spends 150 bucks and he buys the whole staff lunch. And they all snicker and go, what does he think? This makes everything go away. He called me an idiot last week. Mm-hmm. You know, so kindness and sincerity are what play. It's not about the gift. It's not about any of those things. It's not about posturing. You've got to genuinely care about people. If you want to be a good professional, that's where it begins. And, uh, you know, listen, there are examples of, of success everywhere. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, you know, the universe is here for me. And my story with Al and that karma that you were saying, sometimes you don't know where the good comes back. You know, I'm a big believer in, in, in what goes around comes around and that you've got to begin this way. And, you know, I see people that are really crummy and they're, and they're making millions of dollars. And, I, <laughs> and that flies in the face of what we're saying. But I don't really know. You know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know, right? You remember the poem, Richard Corey. And, and you know, you think about things like that. You say, I don't know what this, this guy is making millions of dollars and he's a really miserable wretch to his employees. But maybe he's got a miserable home life or maybe it'll, he'll come back as a snail or something. I don't know. But something. But can, something. can I tell? Can I tell you something? It's interesting. When I was in my consulting job, and I managed about fifty companies, and my generally my contact was generally a senior HR person. Right. And let's say out of those ten, those fifty companies, maybe I had eight, maybe seven to eight difficult relationships. Okay. I can tell you um, that out of those seven to eight difficult relationships. Once I got to know those individuals further, really, I mean, talking and dealing with them for 10 to 12 years, I really got to know them as people. They had a lot of really not nice things happening in their lives. 
right? Because okay. it, you know, because after a while, it's kind of like it's not a two-year relationship. It's like a, you know, it's a, you know, it's kids, it's divorce, it's everything, and then you kind of start to hear people's lives unfold, and you realize mm-hmm. that I think people generally don't want to be crabby, but you know, mm-hmm. sometimes there's such a burden that they they're carrying with themselves, and they don't know how to let go of it or whatever. So I, I think generally people want to be nice. Yeah, and I and you have a choice in that moment. Mm-hmm. You can, when someone is crabby to you, you have a choice. You can either meet them there or you can lead them here. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really up to you. It's, it's about your reaction. I, you know, I'm a, again, a strong believer that I teach salespeople this all the time. The world is nothing but a big mirror reflecting back the face you bring it every day. Mm-hmm. So if you're finding that people are miserable to you and crabby and your days are going poorly, you got to start to think, what am I bringing? Because mm-hmm. there's some part of you that can change and improve. Um, and, and you can change your environment simply by changing yourself. Absolutely. Well, Frank, this has been a fantastic um, conversation. I think you and I can, it's so interesting. You're from, coming from sales. I'm coming from psychotherapy. It's, but really at the end of the day, what are we talking about? We're talking about people. We're talking about empathy. We're talking about connection. This is not about selling. This is about being really what is what I hear. And if you go in with whatever you're trying to promote or or sell, even though that sounds like a, a, you know, a harsh word, but really just be yourself, be yourself, get to know people, learn how to communicate. And I think um, that is such a valuable tool. Like you're right. When I was training, I had years and years of being trained how to communicate effectively where they'd put me, you know, behind a two-way mirror and I'd have to see clients when they would direct me and, you know, pick up a phone and ask me what I'm thinking, what am I doing? So I was microscopically, as a young person, had to learn it. But some of the things that you're talking about, where do people learn it? Where do, where, where do they go? So I, I'd like you to tell them where they can get a hold of you um, with some of the training that you do or um, also your journal articles that you're, or the articles that you write that they could probably get some more information. Oh, sure. So if you subscribe to the blog, just go to my site. It's www.franksoma.com, S-O-M-M-A, franksoma.com. And there's an easy button to subscribe to the blog. And then, you know, I do a good amount of keynote talks to um, – to companies that are running events and then deeper dives into these concepts, you know, a morning session or an afternoon session, typically about two and a half, three hours. And, uh, you know, on a sales seminar that I can do at a particular business or another. And, and then the final thing, you know, you mentioned a little bit about my Cooley's anemia background. I was the uh, longest standing national president of the Cooley's anemia foundation. And my heart is in, nonprofit and if anyone has a dot org and they think I can make a difference as a speaker to them you know those I do without charging anybody anything I just like to help if I can amazing well thanks so much Frank uh, this was uh, inspiring as usual and for everyone listening uh, thanks for tuning in and if you're wanting more information on me and how to be more authentic in leading yourself or others around you, you can go to roxandurhodge.com forward slash blueprint where you'll get a free course on how to be more authentic. So take care, hang in there. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, 
visit RoxanneDurhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.